Ultra. Welcome back to the Cornetto Minute, the daily podcast where we crawl our way to the bitter end of the world's end, one minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Nick Jimenez. And we're back. Just like the five musketeers. The two musketeers. I don't know. I just can't stop thinking as, as we got closer to this. Like, wow, we're, we're recording a minute by minute podcast talking about the world's end. Arguably at world's end. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, for those of you who are maybe finding this podcast later, we are recording this in the uh, midst of the coronavirus uh, I've, lockdown. I've, I fucking hope so. I fucking hope that you're finding this and it's like an artifact and it's like, oh, yeah, I remember when, when we were still talking about that. Yeah, that's why I or I hope that you're listening to this during this and it's giving you a little bit of a release from yeah. uh, the world. Hey, if you're listening to this. And we're still in the middle of of, the, of this crisis. Uh, pat yourself on the back because you're doing it. You're surviving. Yeah. yeah. And we're happy that you're here. Yeah. I, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I think I, I think we should make a pact that that's the last time we talk about that. Sure. Uh, to just to give everybody like <laughs> escape from that for a while. And if it's not relevant anymore when they're listening to it, uh, that'll be a hard listen. Um, I don't want to get any more reviews of people being like, why are they talking about something that's happening, the weather or whatever, these fucking assholes, one star. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot. You don't like the negative reviews. Well, I don't even read them anymore. I don't read even the good reviews. Um, oh, but- I read them. I read all the reviews and they mean a lot to me. <laughs> even the negative. Yeah, because it's like someone cared enough to, to you know, we made it. We made that much of an impact in someone's day. There's such a torrent of content yeah, nowadays. I guess that's true. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I just don't read them anymore for my own mental health. Sure. But, uh, Gotta take anyway, care of yourself, man. Speaking of mental health, uh, we're talking about The World's End, which uh, has a little bit to do with mental health. I sure. Would say. Yeah. Uh, today, we are preparing to annihilate Minute One, which begins with Summer Magic playing as the Focus Features logo fades in and ends with Gary King reminiscing about his good friend, Oliver Chamberlain. Sure. Uh, uh, th- so this is, uh, I, I would argue that like, you know, has the whole podcast been leading to this? I would say so. I would say for you and I, it has. We've, uh, we've, we've, we've made a point of, uh, of saying that, you know, Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead, no one would argue their status as, uh, I would argue that they, as much as I don't know, I, I, I guess it all goes back to what your opinion of a, of a cult movie is, you know, uh-huh. uh, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, I would argue, especially Shaun of the Dead, not to go back to current events, but are, are in the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. They are played 24 seven on Comedy Central or the international equivalent of such. Yeah, they are. They are quoted. They are ubiquitous. They are. Halloween costumes every single year. Sure. 
But I can't believe I used ubiquitous twice, probably incorrectly. But <laughs> The World's End, I would argue, however, is a cult movie. Yes. Because, like the man said, if you know, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's not everybody's favorite. It's not uh, it's not spoken of a lot. I mean, I mean, we were we were you you just minutes ago. You were saying like, wow, there really isn't a lot of art or quotes or gifs or Tumblr, you know, which is weird because to me and to you, uh, this is the best one. This is the best. Yeah. They've, this is the best they've ever done. This is Edgar Wright's masterpiece. Yeah. So far, he's a very young filmmaker. I hope we get decades and decades of Edgar Wright movies. Yeah. But I think this is his best work. I think this is the pinnacle of Peg and Wright and Frost's collaboration as filmmakers. I completely agree with you. Have I ever told you about what I think, what I personally think is uh, the definition of a masterpiece versus like a masterwork? Uh, Please. Tell so, me. so I, the, the way that I've always, I, I think I've, I came to this conclusion like, um, a few months ago, actually, I was thinking about how people overuse, including myself. I mean, you know, whatever, uh, overuse the term masterpiece. And I think what I've decided, at least for me, is there's, there's a difference between a masterpiece and a masterwork. And okay. a masterwork is like the best piece of art made by this particular filmmaker right okay and then a masterpiece is something that transcends the filmmaker so like the shining transcends kubrick it's a masterpiece okay whereas whereas um say uh i don't know clockwork orange is more of like a masterwork or 2001 or well well no see i think 2001 is a masterpiece oh because it transcends it it's it's a part of the culture right it transcends him so so barry linden masterwork yes not a masterpiece exactly exactly see you get it okay so so yeah so i've started to think about it in terms of that and i don't think this transcends the filmmaker because it is not part of the cult the like the the cultural consciousness Mm -hmm. but i do think that it is a masterwork sure it is it is his masterwork it (laughs) is like the perfect film like he made he's made he's made i mean his whole career is basically made of perfect films with the exception of one casting choice in Baby Driver, um, which is only retroa- retroactively bad. Right. Well, really, it was bad at the time because everybody knew. But <laughs> but now it looks worse. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So I I feel like I almost feel like the suggestion because we've we've always said like we don't have any issues with Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead. I think they both accomplish exactly what they set out to do. However, I think that they become masterpieces because they do transcend the creator. Right. Because they've, they've become part of the cultural consciousness, whereas The World's End has never done that. And mm-hmm. so I consider it a masterwork by Edgar Wright, but I don't think anyone would consider it a masterpiece because it doesn't transcend the people who made it. I, just, we, I think we both believe that it's just the best piece of work by those creators. Yeah. And it, I, and I think it's the one that, you know, I love hot fuzz and I love what hot fuzz meant to me in 2007. Yeah. Just like I love what Shaun of the dead meant to me. in Oh four, what Scott Pilgrim meant to me in, in, in 10, but right. the world's end 
is the film that he's made that speaks to me the most as a person. Yeah. And I think it's the one that's going to mean the most to me as I continue my advance towards death as, as I, as I, as <laughs> to, to put it in the darkest way possible, you know, as I continue to age, as I enter my thirties and my forties, as I continue the pub crawl of life. Yeah. That old, that pub crawl of life <laughs> towards the world's end, AKA Nirvana, the goal, the golden mile, the ultimate <laughs> golden mile. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, cause like, um, the world's end. I mean, Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead are bops. You know, like yeah, there you could you could put them on any day of the week, and they and Shaun of the Dead, you know, certainly has taken on new relevance in our current in our current world. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know what Hot Fuzz says about my life. I don't know what Hot right. Fuzz speaks to in terms of like my everyday life. The way that the sure. world, you know, I've I, I already. I already watched the world's end in a different way now in 2020 than I did that, that glorious August afternoon in 2013, Uh huh. because I'm a different person. I have my relationships with the men in my life. And, and, and cause I, I think this is much like all of Edgar, all of other Edgar Wright's movies. It's much, it's very much about the way men communicate with each other and men's relationship with other men. Women kind of exist on the periphery on the fringes almost as an afterthought, which we can, we have talked about in all three seasons of this podcast. And that, and I don't think that's going to go anywhere, but as my relationships with my male friends grow and change, I, I do look at this movie in different ways of like, Oh my God, this person ended up kind of becoming a Gary King person in my life or, Oh my yeah. God, I'm kind of becoming this person or wow. I used to look at this character this way. Now I look at them that way. Yeah, and I, and I think that's why we've been so excited to dig through this movie more than than the other two because I think it's I I I think so far it's Wright's most personal work. Mm-hmm. I also think that it it's the movie that has the most room to grow in the hearts of our listeners. Hopefully, yeah, you know, like it, it's the one that like I I think that our season is going to basically be breaking down this movie on a level that. Hopefully, people will appreciate it in a new light as a result of. Yeah, it really means a lot to me to hear from listeners on social media that uh, they plan on watching this movie for the first time because of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Because they they stuck with us through Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead movies they were already familiar with or fans of, and because they're 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 fans of the podcast, they're going to give this movie a another shot or b their first shot. Right, uh, right. That leaves me chuffed and it leaves me humbled. And I, 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 I'm excited, uh, which is interesting because there's uh, very little movie in this minute. Right, right. Well, and, and so speaking of which, let's get this party started because we start with a needle uh, drop. Yeah. Our, well, yeah. So let's let's talk about that needle drop. Who Who is this? Because it is not on the soundtrack. Hey, I just want to say, of course, of course, an Edgar Wright movie literally starts with a needle drop before we even get studio logos. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Uh, hot, all, I mean, all of his stuff does. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, uh, this town becoming like a ghost town. Right. That song's been stuck in my head a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, a uh, uh, uh Baby Driver. I was called. I was called the Driver's Ed. Uh, Baby Driver. We start with uh, the tone, the, the 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 tinnitus, right? Right, right. It starts with the tinnitus and Baby Driver. In Hot Fuzz, it starts with the police sirens. Hot Fuzz and Baby Driver actually have a lot more in common 
than uh like like Shaun of the Dead and The World's End are a really good double feature. Whereas Hot Fuzz, I think, is a better double feature with Baby Driver. I would say they're two of his – I mean, Baby Driver literally is an American movie. But I yeah. think The World's End and Shaun of the Dead, to me, speak more to the to, to British culture. Sure. And and owe more to – I mean, we, we just got done talking about it on the Patreon. A lot more to British filmmaking and British cinema. Where, sure. Whereas Baby Driver and uh, and Hot Fuzz kind of play more towards his his love of Michael Mann, his love of Michael Bay. Right. Uh, American cinema. American cinema. So this opening track is uh, by Mark Summers, that uh, British sample replay producer, sound engineer, and music producer. Uh, The track is Summer's Magic, climbed up to the UK charts to peak at number 27 in January Mm -hmm. of 1991, a mere 11 months before my birth. Nope. Yeah. 10, 11 months. Uh, Summer's Magic gained instant recognition as the first ever dance track to heavily feature a sample of music from a children's TV theme song. In this Ooh. case, the BBC's The Magic Roundabout. And something interesting, and this is all from Wikipedia, by the way. Uh, this track, Summertime, or Summer, like, uh, Summertime Magic is a Childish Gambino track, but uh, Summer's Magic ended up being a big influence on The Prodigy. Oh, interesting. Which we all know is a uh, a staple of Edgar Wright's filmography and his needle drops. Yeah. Man, have we ever... I'd be interested to... I'd be... I don't know. I, 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 I'm always really interested to, to, to be reminded of the, the influence that just rave culture has played in Edgar Wright's filmography. Yeah. Just rave culture, rave tracks. I mean, even going back to that episode of Space where they go to a rave. Right. Well, I think I think and the whole entire soundtrack of Space is basically almost nothing but like rave tracks. Yeah. Um I think it's because he likes editing to dance tracks because they're they're they feel like proper needle drops, even though like they're they they also feel like score. Yeah. You know? Like it, it they work in, in both ways. I don't know. I kinda like that. I don't know, like how you watch The Irishman and it's just all like doo-wop and the Shangri-Las. And I like to think that when Edgar Wright is like in his 80s, hopefully making his Irishman, it's still going to be like. Ah, yes, the music of my youth. I remember being a young man. <laughs> just, <laughs> just like uh like a he does his like Goodfellas movie and it's like a nostalgia of like a time when like he was like a kid and it's just rave music, like yeah. <laughs> like eighties like dance music. Ah yes, smack my bitch up indeed. <laughs> Leave the door open a little bit. I like it. Oh. open just a little bit. <laughs> For as long as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a DJ. <laughs> it's crazy that no one's ever been a DJ in his movies, though. I guess the closest is Baby. Well, no, Tim. Yeah. Well, well, no, uh, Sean. Oh, that's right. Sean was a DJ. That's yeah, very, Sean very was a DJ. I mean, he worked at 4E Electric, but he was a DJ. That's true. Um, he, had, he, had a, he, had a, he had a board. He had, he had a, like a, yeah, turntable. a turntable, and he had like all those flyers of his like DJ shows. Yeah. yeah. Wide uh, lines. Yeah. So Summer Magic, great track, great opening to this. Like I love how it's synced up so well with the turning of the of the um uh the studio logos. Logo. Yeah, the studio logos and the uh 
the start of the film and i love how it all builds up to like that sort of breakdown where we start getting the the monologue of the flashback to that day in 1990 yeah i i like how it it's interesting because when I think about movies that make their presence known during the studio logos, they normally have to futz with the studio logo. Like, oh, it's a minion instead of the, the I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or yeah. like, oh, it, with Pitch Perfect, it's like, oh, the acapellas are actually, or the Bellas are, are doing the sure. universal. I like how it's all in the blood. They're not changing the uh, the logos or anything. Yeah. He did that for Scott Pilgrim, though. And it was that's true. Arguably the best time it's ever happened. Definitely. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about focus features because the first two films were uh were technically um rogue pictures, which right. was a uh universal uh uh I don't know subsidiary subsidiary, S- yeah, subsidiary. subsidiary. Yeah. Um subsidiary, whatever. Uh yeah, so Rogue Pictures did the first two. Uh, Rogue Pictures was Universal's sort of like indie genre thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like where they put out their genre films was through Rogue Pictures. I remember the first time I think I ever saw Rogue Pictures was the uh, the opening of um, Bride of Chucky. Oh uh, yeah, I uh, uh, that that that's a good one. I also think of uh, that Louis Leterrier Jet Li movie Unleashed. Oh, okay. With yeah. Bob Hoskins. So, oh, Bob Hoskins. Yeah, um, <laughs> so, uh, we stand a legend. Um, mm-hmm. So, focus features. So, it's interesting that The World's End is the first of the Cornetto trilogy to be a focus feature. Um, yeah. I wanted to look up focus features and, uh, you know, its history and things. Um, not interesting <laughs> okay uh really at all uh focus features you know they just came about as a uh, divisional merger of uh usa films universal focus and good machine those three uh divisions oh, yeah. merged into focus features yeah and prior to that usa films which was created by someone named barry diller um usa films was created when he purchased october films in grand mercy pictures and merge them into a single thing. So, Gramercy Pictures, October Films combined to become USA Films. USA Films, Universal Focus, and Good Machine all combined to become Focus Features. Uh, remember that scene in Speed Racer where the bad guy is like recounting the history of like the his corporation to Speed. Uh huh. But he's like super turned on by it. That's what I was thinking the whole time. <laughs> so so uh focus features uh began in 2002 with the release of the film possession uh ah. starring uh gwyneth paltrow and uh aaron eckhart it was a neil labute film uh and uh not a great guy neil no. labute um look him up bad person uh <laughs> but also uh responsible for uh that really bad remake of uh the wicker man bad well, or I mean, look, it's a it's a it's a legendarily bad movie. Yes, I would say. Not the um, but, but anyway, so Possession was the first film. I first became aware of Neil Focus Lee. Features yeah. with Lost in Translation in 2003. Oh, uh, I always think of uh, I think of Joe Wright's Pride and Prejudice. Uh, yeah, that's where is that? That's a little later, right? That's 05. 
It's like the, oh, autumn. Five. That's okay. the autumn of 05. Yeah. So, so to me, I remember there was a time where I thought Focus Features was the best. Like, it was the best one. It was like, the A24 was, of its day. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of was in a way because it was like lost in translation. Right. I, you know, that meant that movie meant a lot to me. And then the next year was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which, which blew your fucking world apart, blew my world apart. I could easily do a movies by minute podcast about that movie, but you won't, uh, but I won't because I'm done after this. <laughs> <laughs> you've done, you've done your, and now your watch is ending. Yes. Um, literally. Uh, oh. But yeah, so it was like, it was that. And then there was Broken Flowers, which was sort of like, yeah. Um, Jim oh, Jarmusch. Jim, Jim Jarmusch. Oh, I have seen a Jim Jarmusch movie. <laughs> I was just talking to somebody about how I don't think I've seen a Jim Jarmusch movie. Um, interesting. Okay. You didn't see The Dead Don't Die? No. You already saw the best part in the trailer? Yeah. Ghouls. Ghouls. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> uh yeah and then you know you got uh pride and prejudice as you mentioned sure. ice harvest broke back mountain hey brick hey yeah brick shout out to uh, brick. ryan johnson's brick uh we've got uh hollywood land yeah that's is, underrated that's underrated movie i think um but uh <laughs> uh uh dan in real life um hey i love dan in real life yeah, I do too. A lot of people make fun of it, though. Um, a lot of like film people, especially like YouTube film people, they, like, they use it as they, a punchline for some they, reason. Do, do they? Or do they make fun of the poster? I don't know. Maybe maybe they're making just making fun of the poster, but it feels like they're making fun of the movie as a whole. Um, maybe they've never actually seen the movie; they just think the poster's dumb. Yeah. I don't know. That's uh, uh, the movie's responsible for introducing me to the music of Sandra Lersh. Mm. Sandra Lersh. Yeah. Uh, Atonement, yeah, in Bruges, uh, Burn After Reading. So they, yeah, they, they, they I mean they owned the two thousands. Yeah, they kind of did. Like until a twenty four, like no one was really beating focus on pure quality of uh, of yeah. a lot of the films that they made. Yeah, um, like like Fox Searchlight, they would maybe get the Oscar glory with their with their Little Miss Sunshines and whatnot. But like, yeah, these are all like quality. Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, Moonrise yeah. Kingdom, Paranorman, yeah. Anna Karini, Karinina. Oh, so they just, yeah, they just kept Joe Wright paid. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of good stuff there um, leading up to the world's end in 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what is your, what are your like fond memories of, of seeing a focus feature? Was it? Oh man, so many. I mean, yeah. I, I, I very clearly still remember going to see Paranorman in the theater yeah. Um I mean Brick Brick Rock My World. I watched that like sure. tw- twice in one day when I rented it on DVD. Hell yeah. Um Love Hannah. I love oh. Dan in real life. Yeah. Uh that's that was a big that was a big like why is no one talking about this? Uh <laughs> I saw that in theaters. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Britt Robertson. Yeah. Oh wow, she was in that, wasn't she? You are a murderer of love. Wow. Wow. God, Britt Robertson. Underrated. Yeah, underrated. We're, God, I just you know what? Everybody slept on Tomorrowland. <laughs> yeah. She's so good in it. And because everyone slept on it, she's like playing a lawyer in something on TV now. Oh, good for her. If you can yeah, play I mean, she'll probably do that forever, but you know. <laughs> sure. When she comes out of it, she's just gonna be like, you know, older and Yeah. 
Well, yeah. feed, the, feed the right wolf. Yeah, right. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so uh, the next title card that comes up, of course, is working title. Yeah. Um, which I thought I would we would talk about because working title um, made all of uh, all of uh, Edgar Wright's films. Sure. Um, so I thought I would talk. Well, not uh, Scott Pilgrim, but everything else. Um, but I thought I would talk about what what uh, uh working title did between hot fuzz and the world's end um so right after hot fuzz right on hot on the heels of hot fuzz they uh had a had a big international hit in the form of mr bean's holiday which i am also a big fan of i think it's underrated it's I- definitely more of a mr bean movie than bean Oh yeah, I don't like Bean at all. I actually weird. I used to write to the Mr. Bean's Holiday Score a lot back when I was <laughs> amazing. Yep. So they did Mr. Bean's Holiday, uh, Elizabeth the Golden Age, Atonement, definitely mm-hmm. maybe Burn After Reading, Frost Nixon. Yeah, uh, which, I, which I actually think is a pretty underrated movie. Yeah, that might be that might be like top tier Ron Howard. Think it probably is. It's, but then again, it's like you forget that he directed it. Of course, like any good Ron Howard movie, you forget that he directed it. Right. Um. <laughs> oh, poor Ron Howard. <laughs> um, what am I? Let's see. Uh, a serious man. The boat that rocked, which is not good. I've tried watching that multiple times, and I love Richard Curtis, but that movie, not not. I'm not a fan of that movie. And uh, featuring Nick Frost. Yeah, Nick Frost, Bill Nye. Uh, Bill Nye. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's an amazing cast, but um, it's just a movie about nothing. It, it's one of those movies where it's like, I bet this was more fun to make than right. to watch. Totally. Uh, Paul, of course, we just talked about in 2011, which we just talked about. Uh, go back in the feed, an episode, and you'll hear us talk about Paul. Uh, Johnny English Reborn, Tinker Taylor it. Soldier Spy. Oh hell yeah! Uh, there's uh, Anna Karenina again. Never seen uh, it. Les Miserables. Definitely seen it. Yep. Saw it on Christmas Day, 2012, mm-hmm. day of its release. Wow. Yeah, I saw it right away. Um, and uh, you know what? I liked it. Oh, sorry. I did. Well, still some bright. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Broadway people. Um, sure. Who all uh, lost a lot of respect for me just now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> sorry. I apologize. Hey, not but, all of us uh, can fucking afford to see it. Every time yeah. it comes to the Pantages, okay? <laughs> this is interesting. This is a, a movie between Les Miserables and uh, The World's End. They released a film called I Give It a Year. Oh, which, yeah. Which starred Rose Byrne and Rafe Spall. I see that all the time under shit you should watch on Hulu. I, yeah, I've never, st- no, I've never even heard of this. Never even thought about it. But I, I always see like the, I think it's like one of those ones where like their friends are like, they should date. Why aren't they dating? And Rose Byrne's like, no, nah, I don't want to. And Ralph Spall's like, I don't know, because Ralph Spall's a fucking chameleon. And I have no idea what he's like in that movie. But I assume wow. it's just like one of those, like you would watch this on a Sunday afternoon romantic comedies, you know, like life partners. Yeah. I bet really? I like. I bet I would like it. That's the thing. I, I bet I would too. I think I might give this a shot. It's got uh, Anna Faris, Simon oh. Baker, Stephen Merchant, Minnie Driver, Olivia Coleman. Wow. Yeah, it's a that's a pretty sweet cast. It's probably not great, but I bet it's like fine. Sure. 
I don't know. Sometimes I'm that's all you want. Giving of romantic comedies, definitely. I think. Definitely. I mean, you can you can put that on. Like you know, I haven't thought about Juliet naked since I saw it, but I remember having a really fun time watching it. Yeah. So working title was busy uh, between uh, not producing Scott Pilgrim, <laughs> uh, uh, but they're really shaking their fists. Uh, yeah. That could have been our sweet, sweet Scott Pilgrim money. Well, they might have helped with the marketing of it or something. That's true. Might wow. not have opened it the same day as the Expendables and Eat, Pray, Love. Wow. Yep. Wow. Now ask me any math problem. <laughs> oh, Nick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that's what was going on with uh, with those guys um, over at Working Title. And then um, I do need to point out – so this is something that I actually don't think I have realized mm-hmm. prior to breaking this down and really paying attention. Mm-hmm. But did you realize that this opening shot of them running toward the beer is the adult versions of the characters? I don't – I can't remember if – I definitely noticed it when we watched it for the podcast and yeah. thinking like, wow, like this it's, it's weird that this is kind of like a, uh, a almost a fantasy sequence. Right. Yeah. It's that, like, uh, yeah, it's like his dream scenario of how this night could go. Yeah. It's like for, we get one flash of like what Gary actually imagined the golden mile was going to look like where the beers are like waiting for him. Yeah. Also, man, those pints are just huge. <laughs> yep. So that's how they're rocking over in the UK, man. My God, what a, just just incredible! I would, I just I just want those pint glasses. Yeah, all, those the, some... pint, all the pint glasses in this movie, I'm just like jealous of. Like I want them really yeah, bad. This might be, uh, if nothing else, this movie might be uh, the best example of like beer porn. Oh my God, nothing else even comes close. I can't think of I, anything. I'm never more. I'm going to drink more beer because of this podcast, this season of the podcast, <laughs> than probably I ever will in my life for the rest of my life. I've had one beer in the fridge for like a month, <laughs> and it's a Coors yeah. Light, and I'm just like, oh, there you are. I don't know. I just I'm not a. I'm my college days are behind me, man. I'm not a drinker anymore. Yeah, yeah. I'm not uh, a teetotaler by any stretch, but yeah. But I do, I do, I, I mean, you know me, I like a drink. But, you do. Um, I, uh, I, uh, I, I tend to drink like bourbon and wine mostly. Sure. Um, red wine. But yeah, this uh, is like the sideways of beer. Yeah. Th- yeah. Yes. Despite the fact that it's like, <laughs> well, I guess, I guess sideways paints a pretty bad picture for winos as much as this <laughs> yeah, does. for. Yeah, yeah. You don't really watch that movie being like, wow, I wish I was like Miles. <laughs> yeah he's he seems like he's got it figured out <laughs> he does not uh not any more than uh gary king does anyway no god what would um, those two hanging out be like god could you imagine that's are, my friend are, gary how, king how much, ol- how much older is giamatti than peg i'm honestly a little fucking terrified to go back and find out how old giamatti's character is supposed to be in sideways because i have a bad feeling it's like like 35 or something I think you're right. Um, I'm a 35 year old man. He was born in 67. Yeah, Peg was like so 70, 70 something, right? Peg's in like- 2000. In 2002, when did Sideways come out? Because in 2002, he was 35. 
It came out in 04. Okay, so he was 37. Okay. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, he ages like a fine wine. He's going to be in Jungle Cruise. He is. I can't wait. I saw him on that poster, and it was the, it was the most joy I'd felt in a long time. He has a parrot mm-hmm. on his shoulder. Oh, wow. That's great. Do you think he's playing Trader Sam? I hope he's playing Trader Sam. I hope so. I I hope the parrot talks and is also Paul Giamatti. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Same. Um, Yeah. So I – okay. So this this opening shot here. Yeah, the hero um, shot. uh, Yeah. So they start walking down. They're walking down the steps out of school, and we're getting the introduction of them. Um, so here's something that I also never noticed mm-hmm. and is really nice foreshadowing. It's good for the characters, but it's also really good for foreshadowing. Yeah. So this is the end of school. We're going to yeah. flash back um, in the next couple of days to uh, the beginning of the school day and what they did that day. Right. Um, but but this is the end of the day. So they're walking out of the last day of school. Here and we've got them, and I have never noticed that they're all wearing ties. Oh wow! Because they're all in uniform, except they're in like this weird casual version of the uniform. Because everyone else in the school is wearing a proper uniform, except for the five of them. Yeah, it's weird. It's like yeah, you're very right. Because like you know, they, they we, we get a really cool shot of the marmalade sandwich. We even get a cool shot of like some girls watching them leave like sitting on a bench and they are yeah. all very much dressed like the way you would imagine like a a british private school i don't know i'm exposing no no my... no it's i think it's just all their schools wear uniforms okay yeah full full uniforms but um you're right but yeah all all the five musketeers are wearing different colored shirts and different colored ties and different colored trousers right and and different jackets and yeah and everything and so my my the thing that I like about this from a foreshadowing standpoint is the fact that they're the only ones who are different, just like they are going to be when they come back to the town. Uh, it's already started. Yeah, it's already started. Everyone else is the same except for them. Every frame a painting. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, so, so right off the bat, we're we're already separating them from the rest of the pack. Yeah, I wonder if that's just meant to be impressionistic or like actually like i don't know like if the school actually had you know the like office rules how like you can wear whatever you want but it's got to be a certain stat you know you have to wear yeah. this you have to wear that but you, it can be you don't have to wear this kind of tie i don't know my argument for it is that they're able to do this because it's the last day got it yeah like if you saw them any other day than the last day of high school or whatever the equivalent of that is in uh in england um they would be wearing the full uniform. But on the last day, the reason that everyone is looking at them and the reason that they're all like smiles and kind of strutting and everything is because it's like, it's almost like a prank where it's like, Hey, we're wearing a shirt and tie. We're just, you know, wearing our own versions of it because fuck it. It's the last day of school. Who gives a shit? Fuck it. Let's And maybe like the rest of the, the, you know, like all the teachers were just like, yeah, who really gives a shit? I'm not going to send you home on the last day of school. Like, it doesn't matter. You're wearing a tie. It's better than nothing. (laughs) It's it's Gary King and his his mates. Exactly. So uh, so (laughs) just flashing two middle fingers to the school. (laughs) Yeah. 
So we've got Oliver Chamberlain, Peter Page, Stephen Prince, Andy Knightley, and Gary King, which, of course, a king, a knight, a prince, a page, and a chamberlain. Yeah, a full court. Yep, full court. Um, pretty cool. I like that. That's yeah. uh that's like that's that's fun with surnames. I, I'm I'm a big I'm a big fan of fun with surnames. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, if everything is intentional on the screen, it should be so in the page. Yeah. No pun intended. The Peter Page. The Peter Page, as it were. Uh, I'm a huge, I'm a, I'm a big old fan of the, uh, the early '90s different world babysitters club font that everyone, everyone's names get. Oh yeah, I like that a lot. If you were sure. alive in the '90s, you definitely saw that font a lot. Yeah, it Kinda. feels like um, Clarissa explains it all. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I. Uh, so what can you can you can do you want to talk about the? Um, did you look up the marmalade sandwich at all, or just? the the early the young versions of the of the of the group um no i could only find the uh the young versions of the court as it okay. were uh, all right we'll save the marmalade sandwich for when they show up later at the mermaid uh, oh that's true uh, because it's the same the same actors yeah it's the same actors in in their particular case they're, so, they're one particular case yeah it's an Edgar Wright movie can't can't get too crazy right right so uh thomas law as young gary had kind of the uh the most under his belt, at least according to IMDb, uh, he was in a lot of East End EastEnders. Oh, he, uh, this is before the World's End from 2006 to 2010. He played Peter Beale, and uh, if I'm reading this correctly, 231 episodes of EastEnders. Uh, wow! From 2005 to 2014, he played Matt Haddon slash Sean Starkey. In Casualty, he played Sean Starkey for one episode and then Matt Hatton all the way down. So I'm guessing maybe he introduced himself as Sean Starkey only to reveal himself to actually be Matt Hatton. And uh, he was Matt Hatton until 2014. Wow. He also was in uh, a Cinderella story, If the Shoe Fits, in 2016, uh, starring... Uh, Girl from the Descendants. You know, those like Disney Channel movies, The Descendants. Yeah. Uh, one of those ones. Because I think the thing about Cinderella story is like each one is like a different because Lucy Hale is in one called Once Upon a Story. Uh, a little fun fact. I think Scott knows this story. I don't think I've shared it on a podcast. Technically, I am credited uh, in a Cinderella story and another Cinderella <laughs> story starring Selena Gomez. But it is not me. It is another Nick Jimenez, but he's in my IMDb page. <laughs> And we played Fabio. Oh. I think about him. I think about him every time I think about me joining SAG because he might be the reason I have to go by a different name. <laughs> oh, sorry, buddy. Oh, it's fine. I have a lot of options, but uh, I hope you had a fun time making another Cinderella story with Selena Gomez. Yeah, that's true. I'm digging Ollie's phone. Yeah, it's a big uh, brick. Did you ever have one of those? No. No, I wasn't. I wasn't old. My first uh, cell phone was uh, LG Chocolate. I remember those. Yeah, that was my that was my first one. I didn't get a cell phone until I worked at um, Circuit City. Great. Because we got like a discount at Verizon. Did you ever have school uniforms? No. Me neither. I always went to public school. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because we don't have uh, most school. Most public schools don't have uniforms in America. They have a dress code. Dress code for sure. A patriarchal yeah. dress code. 
yeah, it's really it's a really shitty system too. Um, that doesn't that just like punishes women, <laughs> girls can't wear, can't wear that, or the boys will their innate animal instincts will they can't control themselves, yeah. and that's your fault. Yeah. Oh God, awful, 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 <laughs> awful. Anyway, uh, yeah. So Ollie was funny, and that's where we end. <laughs> Ollie was a real prick. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, that's minute one. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, remember, you can join us over on Facebook. If you're if you're on Facebook, the Cornetto Minute Listeners Pub is where you can go and uh, talk about the show. Talk about the things that we talked about. What's your favorite focus feature? Yeah, that's a fun one. <clears throat> yeah. Mine's it's, Eternal Sunshine. What's yours? Oh, man, that's a big question. Uh, I'm going to say Dan in real life. <laughs> Dan in real life. Sure. <laughs> nice. Uh, um, yeah. A- anytime anything happens with a goose, we get a we get a we get a, a link to it. Love that. Yeah. Or a swan. a swan. A swan, I should say. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. So yeah. if you're on Facebook and you haven't joined our our listener group, uh, do that. It's the Cornetto Minute Listeners Pub on Facebook. And tomorrow we'll be back with minute two. But for now, let's boo boo. That man again.